Hi, this is Dr. John Ankerberg. I invite you to dig into God's Word today with my dear friend, the late Dr. Wayne Barber, as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible. Well, would you turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to pick up where we left off this past week. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11 today. What a powerful passage. Remember I told you to strap your seatbelts on. It's going to start getting deeper and deeper. Now, it's, it, if you'll stay with me, just pray. Maybe we can start seeing this come together. It's beautiful if you can see it. It's really profoundly simple. Sometimes the frailty of preaching makes it a little more complex. Last time we were together, we saw how Paul develops his case to these Galatian believers that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. There is no other means to be saved. Now, he's headed on towards something else, but that's where he is right now. Salvation is not by works. This is the gospel. This is the message that we have to take to work with us, to take to our neighborhoods, to take around the world. You know, missions and evangelism are the same thing, across the street, around the world. And this is our message, that God so loved all of us that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, what? Believes. Not works for Him not earns it by some work, believes in Him, should, be should, should not perish, but have everlasting life. I had the sweetest time this past week. On Thursday night, I got to go down to a little place called Winston, New Mexico. How many of you know where Winston, New Mexico? <laughs> you go about an hour below Socorro on I-25 South, and then you go into utter oblivion. <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing, it is beautiful country. Dave and Tess McKinney have been down there teaching a Bible study, a CBS Bible study on the Gospel of John. And so they invited me to come down and to close it out, just to close it out. There are 40 people that live in Winston. We had 41 there that night. I have not figured that out quite yet, but we had 41. Uh, Dave uh, and Tess were there. And then David and Ananika Welty, they live there. And uh, they had their little family there. We spent some time with them, her mother, Mary, and Butch Williams. Well, we just had a wonderful time. And I want to tell you something, folks. It's just wonderful to be around people who just love God. And they're having like a revival down there. People are getting saved. They're, they're hungry for the Word. We had a sweet time. I got to speak to them on Thursday night. And before I spoke, they had a, a sing-along. And a little 13-year-old boy had his guitar out there. But hey, he was good. Now you watch for him. He's going to be out someday because he's, he's gifted. And his little sister sang at the end of it, I walked in the garden alone, you know. And this beautiful, beautiful time. I had to tell you this, though. While we were having a snack time, <laughs> that little 13-year-old came over and said, I want to play one I don't think you've heard. <laughs> you know what? He's exactly right. <laughs> There's something about going into heaven with whiskey on my bread. <laughs> and the course. The chorus to that song was awesome. It says, don't tell mama I was drinking. <laughs> Man, I thought I'd died and gone back to Tennessee. It was awesome. It was a great time. <laughs> but while I was there, I'm telling the story for a reason. While I was there, little Annika told me she has four boys. And she said, one of her boys, I think the seven-year-old, said, mama, I want to be, be saved. I want to go to heaven. How, do I, how, how can I be saved? Isn't it a precious time when your children come and ask those questions? Well, the older brother, and that's the way it always is, isn't it? They're going to intimidate everybody. 
The older brother said, it's by good works. It's by good works. You better be good or you can't go. And the mother said, Horace, you know better than that. It's by grace you're saved by faith. You, you just put your trust in Jesus Christ for what he did for you. He said that little seven-year-old looked at his brother, works. And he looked at his mama, grace. And he said, mama, I want to be saved that way. <laughs> you know, the apostle Paul would have risen up and called him blessed. I guarantee you right there. That's exactly what he's saying to the Galatians. You want works? No, I don't think so. I think you want the message of grace. Well, to prove his case that salvation is only by faith alone in Christ alone, he brings his star witness to the forefront. And that star witness is a man by the name of Abraham. Isn't that the genius of the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, Abraham was, was the hero, the hero of all uh, of the Jews. I mean, that, to bring Abraham's name up would have stopped everybody, Abraham. And he, wanted, he shows them in verse 6 and 7 that Abraham had to be saved by faith. And isn't that amazing? Why is it that they haven't thought about that? There wasn't works that saved Abraham. He believed and it was accounted uh, reckoned to him as righteous. Look at verse 6. It says, even so, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Abraham was an unquestionable witness. There's nothing you can do with it. It's right there in Genesis. How do you skip it? How do you get around it? If you don't factor that into what salvation is all about and how a person can be saved, then you missed the point. Last week we went over to Romans chapter 4 and we saw in detail uh, the, the, the justification by faith alone in Christ alone by Abraham. Do you realize when Abraham was saved, when he believed that there was no covenant of law, there wasn't circumcision. Circumcision didn't come about till the 17th chapter, many years later, of the book of Genesis. Abraham believed God. And the word for believe there is pistevo. Pistevo comes from the word pistis, which means to put your total trust into someone. In other words, you can't trust good works, but you can trust what Jesus has done for us. Somebody gave an acrostic of the word faith once. And it says, forsaking all, I trust him. And that's what Abraham did. And it was reckoned. That word reckoned is an accounting word. It was written to his account. Gave the illustration last week. Wouldn't it be great to see your bank statement and have $30,000 more than you thought you had? It was just reckoned to your account. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. It was written beside your name in your account. Well, this fact, this unquestionable example that, that Abraham was, that faith alone in Christ alone is the only way of salvation, leads us to an unchangeable truth. It's been there all along. It was there in Genesis. It's there in the New Testament. What's that? Verse 7. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Now, we saw how both Jesus and Paul used that phrase. You see, the Jewish mindset was, that's our term. That's our phrase. Because we can track our physical lineage back to Abraham. We're his sons. But Paul and Jesus uses it in a different way. Even Abraham and, and how he was saved qualifies the meaning that they, of how they used it. It is in a spiritual sense. Only people who have put their faith into Christ have believed God. These are the ones who are children, figuratively, spiritually, of Abraham. Those who put their faith in Christ. Now, let's watch as how Paul continues to defend righteousness by faith 
as, as we move on. And I'll tell you what, strap your seatbelts on because he, he's going to deal with some interesting things here. You have to put yourself in the mindset of the Judaizers who are reading this letter. He's going to infuriate them before it's over with. And this is nothing compared to what's coming in the book of Galatians. So we have an unquestionable example. Abraham. I mean, to any person who ever doubts that salvation is by faith, take him back to Genesis and show him. Abraham. That's how he was saved. No works. No, none of this other stuff. It was strictly by faith. And then secondly, an unchallenged truth. But then thirdly, as we pick up where we left off last week, we want to see an unrestricted covenant. An unrestricted covenant. The covenant of grace that Paul's going to bring up here in a moment that was promised to Abraham was not restricted to Jews. In fact, when it was made, there were no Jews. We do understand that today, don't we? The Jewish race didn't even come about. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons, and the younger was named Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and Israel had 12 sons. And there's your nation of Israel. You didn't even have that when the covenant was given to Abraham. But it was not restricted to Jews. Now you think with me just for a second. He's about to tell them that the Gentiles are included. <laughs> uh, he's already angered the Judaizers with faith alone in Christ alone, not the Mosaic law, not circumcision, etc., but now he's going to take a step further. If you really wanted to infuriate a legalizer, a false teacher who believes in works, especially a, a, the Judaizers of that day, well, you can find no better way than what Paul used in verse 8. He includes the Gentiles. Look what he says here. Before that, the Jews were separatists. You're talking about ethnic cleansing, man. They were separatists. I mean, we are the ones. And, and they wanted, if a Gentile was to be included in, their law allowed them to come in as a proselyte Jew. You know what that is? That's a person who could be any age. And he just, he's born a Gentile, raised a Gentile, but he chooses one day to affiliate with them. He wants to be a part of the Jewish people. Well, to get in, you had to go through the rite of circumcision, the males, and then you had to get up under the law of, of Moses. Now, Paul dealt with this at the church at Philippi. There were no synagogues there when he went, so the, the Jewish flavor that was there was probably proselyte Jews. And that's why he says, you think you're a Jew? Let me talk about my pedigree, buddy, if you want to compare uh, apples and oranges. So to them, all Gentiles had, be, had to become Jews in order if they were going to be concluded at all. Their system allowed for this. Now imagine their reaction. <laughs> Imagine their reaction when Paul says in verse 8, look at verse 8, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations shall be blessed in you. Now what is he doing? He's going back to that covenant promise that began really back in chapter 12 of Genesis and was finalized in the 15th chapter. That God would justify save, the word justification, salvation, same, that he would justify the Gentiles by faith. Now, I'll tell you what, that one phrase could cause those Judaizers to start breathing fire. I mean, he has really stirred the pot on this one. Paul says that the scriptures foresaw that salvation would come to the Gentiles. Now, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm certainly glad this morning. Are you not glad? <laughs> We're Gentiles that God's love and God's plan has always extended to both Jew and to Gentile. Now, we know that Moses wrote the first five books, and in the book of Genesis, he makes it very clear, chapter 12 and verse 3, that we're included. And I bless those who bless you, 
I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. But now listen to this. Not only are they included in that original covenant way back in Genesis chapter 12 through 15, but it's not, not just that, but how they're included is, is, is the issue. The scripture foreseeing that God would just justify the Gentiles by what? By faith. Oh no, oh no. Uh, it was not just that they would be included, but the same way Abraham was saved is the same way a Gentile is saved and the same way a Jew would be saved. By faith alone, in Christ alone. Can't you just hear those Judaizers? Can't you hear them? What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean, God, if you're going to include them, at least put them up under the law. Don't let it be by faith. That's too easy. They grew up pagan. They didn't grow up under the covenants and the promises, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They don't have all the background. Put them back up under the law. That's not what the Scripture said. They shall be justified by faith. And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Now, that word foreseeing is the word proedon. I apologize for the, not having the words today. I think I was a little slow getting it to the right people at the right time. But it's pro-ethon, P-R-O-E-I-D-O-N. Pro, before, and horao, to clearly perceive something. It's the word that means to look way ahead, to see afar off. If you've ever studied the book of Daniel, you know what we're talking about. How it looks through and sees Antagonist Epiphanes and then on beyond that, it sees the very end of time that hadn't even taken place yet. To see way ahead to that which hadn't happened yet, to see afar off. My dad in 1966 took me out in the yard, front yard of our house. He had been having a lot of health problems. He was 60 years old. I was 23 at the time. And he sent me down in the yard there and he says, son, I won't be here. I will not be here by Thanksgiving. I'd been off in college and I hadn't fully understood the, the the, the depth of this, of what was going on. He said, Wayne, I've been having these pains. He said, I just believe God's told me my time's up. He said, now, and he went through a list of things. You take care of your mother, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I remember getting up, walking away from that conversation, thinking that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. But on November the 12th, 1966, I was home from college that weekend, and my dad went on to, to be with the Lord Jesus at by about 12 o'clock noon that day. Dad was able to see ahead. He was able to look afar off. Really, it wasn't that far from that time, but he was able to see something that had not yet happened, and he was able to tell it to me. The Scriptures were looking way ahead to Christ. The, the Scriptures understood and the fact that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Look at it again. And the Scriptures foresee that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Look at this. Preach the gospel beforehand, to Abraham. That's interesting. The word for preach there, the gospel beforehand, is one Greek word. It's, uh, I'm going to try to say it just to impress you. It's pro ephagelizome. <laughs> Thank you, Wayne. I, that really blessed me. If you could have gone all day long and not said that. Now, note what it says. It says, the scriptures preached to Abraham. I think that's interesting. When scripture speaks, God speaks. When God speaks, the scripture speaks. That's why we study the word of God. It's the word of God. When he speaks, that's the scriptures. Well, God spoke to him and revealed something. And Paul shows the gospel is older than the law. Do you realize that? It preached the gospel to Abraham in that day. And wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 
This is before the law ever came about. This is before Israel had ever even become a nation. The gospel was preached to Abraham. The gospel, the good news, faith alone in Christ alone, is older than Israel, is older than the law. It was preached to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 through 15. Well, even though it was hundreds of years away, Abraham got a preview, didn't he? He got a preview of what something was gonna happen, what was gonna happen far off. And that was gonna be that Jesus Christ, the Redeemer, would one day be born of a woman and it would be through the tribes of Israel of a nation that had not yet even come to be. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. And that word for nation is the word ethnos. We get the word ethnic from it. It's the word used to denote all nations that were not Jewish. All the nations. It would include them in this passage, but it, it's used later on to, to be all the nation uh, that were not Jewish. They too would be included into this promise. Now I want to make sure you understand what he's saying here. Abraham was, was, was promised a land, he was promised a nation, and he was promised a seed. And that seed would not be Isaac that was born of faith when Abraham was 100 years old and, and Sarah was 90. No, that just opened the door in order for Jacob to come about. And Jacob was named, changed name to Israel. And then the nation could come about. The, the land, the nation, but the seed would pass through one of those tribes. It would be through the tribe of Judah and the line of David that through Christ and faith alone, in Him alone, all nations would be blessed. So Paul's argument continues. He's made two very important points. Abraham was saved by faith. Before there was a law, before there was Israel, Abraham was saved by faith. The gospel is older than Israel. But not only that, Jew and Gentile have, are included in the covenant that was made to him. From the very beginning, God looked out and saw the Jew and the Gentile, and he included all of us in his covenant. Paul's point has been the gospel, again, is older than the law. Abraham was saved by faith. The Gentiles are included. And what he's really saying here, I think, and it really makes an exclamation point, is if this is true, and it is, it's Scripture. How are you going to argue with Scripture? And if all that's true, then listen to this. Why would the Judaizers impose a law that was only temporary at best, came 400 years after Abraham was made this promise. Why would they impose the law on anybody, especially the Gentiles? Do you realize the very moment we start imposing law on people, we've gone against the gospel, which goes all the way back to Genesis? We've completely, uh, it, it's amazing how how erroneous we can become by thinking there's got to be works involved in any way. That's never been the way it's been, all the way back to the book of Genesis. They were saved in the Old Testament, just like we're saved in the New Covenant. They looked forward to the Redeemer, which was preached to Abraham and certainly passed on from generation to generation, that, that message. But we look back to the Redeemer who's already come. So an unquestionable example, Abraham. How do you get around him? But not only that, an unchangeable truth. The sons of Abraham, as Jesus used it and Paul used it, and as seen in Genesis, are those who put their faith into the Lord Jesus. And then an unrestricted covenant. It's not just for the Jew, it's also for the Gentile. But then finally, 
we have an understood principle, an understood principle. Now, there's a transition that's going to start taking place in verse 9. He's addressing believers. So he has, first of all, addressed his salvation, how they got saved. Now he's about to change it and start addressing how they live once they're saved. Faith alone in Christ alone for salvation. Well, what do I do now? Faith alone in Christ alone. It's the same. It's the same way all the way through. By faith alone in Christ alone. Verse 9. He says, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, I don't want you to notice here. He didn't say those who are of works. He said those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. Now, that little phrase, Abraham, the believer, is interesting. Because if you've got other translations, it'll bring some things out that are necessary. The word believer there is pistos. Now, pistos, P-I-S-T-O-S, is the word that means faithful. And it denotes a lifestyle. What he's saying here is, faithful Abraham, that Abraham, yes, he was saved by faith alone in Christ alone, that gospel that was revealed to him in Genesis. But once he was, once that, he was declared righteous, he lived by faith alone in what, what God said and who God was. This was the character of Abraham once he became righteous. See, that's the issue with Galatia. Because they have, as believers, jumped back under law. And he says, wait a minute. Let's go back to Abraham again. Not only was he saved by faith, but once he was saved, he lived by faith. The faith lifestyle of Abraham, the surrendered heart of Abraham, is clearly seen in Genesis chapter 22. Now, I'm not going to take you back there. We don't have the time. But in Genesis 22, God spoke to him, and he said, I want you to take Isaac. Isaac was the apple of his eye. Isaac is the son of faith. He said, I want you to take him up on Mount Moriah, and I want you to put him to death. If you'll go back sometime and read Genesis 22, Abraham never flinched. He immediately, he trusted the character of God so much, his faith was not in the Word. His faith was in the God of the Word. And that's why when the Word came, he had no problems whatsoever. And he immediately moved to do what God said. Oh, the beautiful story that unfolds there. He takes his son and some, a little party of people with him. They get to the foot of Mount Moriah. He said, you guys wait here from us, for us. My son and I are going up to worship God, and we will return. God's already told him to take his life, to, to sacrifice him. It says in the book of Hebrews, he believed that if God made him go through with it, that God would raise him from the dead. That's how much he believed God. And here they were walking up that mountain. Nobody really knows how old Isaac was at that time, but he was certainly old enough to carry the wood of the altar. And he's walking up, he's carrying the wood, and the dad's got the fire. He looks over at his daddy and he says, Daddy, here's the wood and here's the fire, but uh, where's the sacrifice? And his dad, boy, can you believe this? I mean, he, here's his son. He said, God will provide the sacrifice. And as they're walking up, here's a man that's learned how to trust God. I mean, this is the most precious thing in his life that God's asked him to lay down. And he says, I so trust you, God, that if you tell me to do it, I'm going to do it. No questions asked. That's what faith living is, folks. You just do what God says and you trust him. And as he's walking up one side of the mountain, the sacrifice is walking up the other, that old ram. And they got up on the top. He built the altar, laid his son down on it, took the knife, was ready to kill him. Why? Because God told him to do it. And as he brought his knife down, the angel in heaven, the angel of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's an occurrence of Jesus in the Old Testament. And he shouted from heaven. He says, stop, stop. And boy, Abraham has the greatest thing he'd ever heard in all of his life. And there he looked and it was a ram caught by his horns in the thicket. 
I'll tell you what, if I'm a hunter, and a lot of you guys out there are hunters, so the rest of you need to get a life, but I, I'll tell you what, what are the odds, what are the odds of any ram getting caught in a thicket by his horns? That's where he lives. But on that day, God said to the thicket, grab that, grab that ram. And it grabbed it and did exactly. And, and there was the sacrifice. Now listen, you say, Wayne, why is that so important? Well, ask the scriptures. James chapter 2, verse 21. He says, was not Abraham justified by his works? And you say, wait a minute, that contradicts. He did works. Uh-uh. The word justified is, is the chi, oh, oh, which means, no, sir, he was not justified. He was proven to be justified. Why? Because not only was he, he saved by faith, he lived by faith. And that act of Genesis 22 proved him throughout all of Scripture. Hebrews 11 brings it up again. So you see what Paul is trying to get to the Galatian mindset. You were saved by faith. We've documented that. It's always been by faith alone in Christ alone. With Abraham, before Israel ever existed, the gospel's older than even Israel and the law. And then he shifts gears. He says, now, if you're saved by faith, then what's wrong with you people? Do you think, as he says in earlier in chapter 3, do you think now you can be perfected by fleshly works? You see, the law is ineffective to produce salvation. Anything wrong with the law? No. And we're going to see that coming up in chapter 3. The law's fine. It just can't produce what it demands. Not only can it not produce salvation, it cannot produce holy living, folks. On the external, yes, it can, it can curb your behavior, give you morals and ethics, but it cannot change your life. It cannot change you from the inside out. Verse 10 says, For as many as are under the works or of the works of the law, listen to this, are under a curse. You want to go back under law? Is that what you want? I keep thinking of David and, and Annika's little boy. <laughs> I want your way, Mama. I don't want that way. Is that what you want? Then you're under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now what Paul does here, he jumps back to Deuteronomy. Don't you love how he uses the Old Testament? In fact, remember, he was writing the New Testament <laughs> as it's going along. So these are all Old Testament scriptures. And he goes back to Deuteronomy 27 in verse 26. And here's what it says there. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And the implicit thought is all of the law, all of the law. I don't know why that, that people can't realize, and especially the Jews, that no Jew ever fulfilled the total law of the Ten Commandments. Nobody could do that except for one who was born of a virgin, the seed promised to Abraham. And why did he come? He came to do what all men had been proven they could not do. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. And so therefore, he's the only one. One man born to a virgin, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who choose law and those who have chosen law unwittingly put themselves under God's wrath. Now, why would you want to go back and get under law? Again, it's good, but it cannot produce what it demands. Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 10 tells us that Israel never made it. And why they can't see this, I don't know. It, God's going to have to do this revealing. But here's what Paul says, speaking of his own brethren. He says, brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer for God, to God for them is for their salvation. He even says in another passage, I would have given up my own salvation just to see my brethren come to know Christ. Verse 2. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God. Don't doubt that. But not in accordance with knowledge. They don't understand. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, 
they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, which can only be produced by faith. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness which is based on law shall live by that righteousness. In other words, all of it. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. I love this. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven as if to bring Christ down? Or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? No man can accomplish that. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we're preaching. And Paul, can't you see the frustration sometimes when he's preaching? He says, it's right there in front of you. Why can't you understand it? Then if you confess with your mouth Jesus as, as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. The law never saved anyone, especially Israel. They were never able to accomplish that moral law that God had set as His standard. And then in verse 11 of, chapter, of Galatians chapter 3, Paul jumps from his point. No man can obey all of the law. And then he jumps to his point. He jumps to Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. What he's going to show here is not only does faith save you, it's faith that sanctifies you. The same Christ, trusting in Him, trusting His Word, yielding to Him is what saves you. That's the same thing that sustains you once you're saved. Verse 11, that no one is justified by the law before God is evident. For the righteous man shall live by faith. Now the word evident is the word delos. It's a word that means totally crystal clear. I'll tell you, I, I'm going to have to buy some new binoculars. If y'all know where I can get a good cheap pair. <laughs> Wait a minute. That's an oxymoron in a good, cheap pair. A good pair, cheaply. <laughs> Y'all let me know, because I want to tell you, the little dinky things we've been using in the South, I mean, it's, an, it's amazing. Uh, you don't even ever see over 100 yards at any time. If you shoot something 400 yards away, you've killed somebody on the interstate. So I've got to have a bigger <laughs> pair. But it is so nice to have a nice pair of binoculars. Why? Because when you push that little thing and keep working on it, keep working on it, what happens? It gets fuzzy and fuzzy and fuzzy, and all of a sudden it starts, whoo! And when it becomes crystal clear, your eyes just say, praise the Lord. I mean, they, it's a blessed thing for the eye when it's cleared up. And Paul says, it's clear. It's evident. Who would come against Scripture? Who would come against the covenant to Abraham? It is clear that no one is justified by the law before God. But then he goes on to show you why. Because if that could have justified you, then that's the way you live after you get justified or saved. And then he says, for the righteous man shall live by faith. That's a quote right out of Habakkuk, their own scripture, chapter 2 and verse 4. The righteous man. Verse 10, which is a quote out of Deuteronomy, proves the fact that justification, salvation, is not by law, not by law. Nobody has been able to obey the law. But then he jumps to Habakkuk and proves that salvation not only is by faith, holy living, the way we live after we get saved is by faith. He says the righteous man, the man who's already been made righteous, has been saved, should walk by faith. Leviticus 18.5, then he jumps to this passage. He quotes another Old Testament passage. And then he's sort of locking his whole argument up. He says in verse 12, however, the law is not of faith on the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. You want law? There's no faith involved. You just go out and do it. Only problem is you can't. 
Now, is that what you want, Galatians? No, I don't think so. That was a temp temporary covenant. That's all it was to get us ready for the message of grace. Leviticus 18, 5 says, So you shall keep my judgments and my statutes by which a man may live if he, if, if he does them. A man may live if he does them. I am the, I am the Lord. The law says, do and live. He who practices them, he who does them. But grace says, listen to this, become and live. Now, which one do we want? Which one do we want? It's not a matter of doing. It's a matter of becoming. It's letting Jesus be Jesus in our life. Once we get, that's the way we got saved. That's the way we live after salvation. Well, Paul's argument it is it's impossible to attain righteousness before salvation and after salvation unless it's by faith, trusting, forsaking all, I trust him and his word. That's the only way righteousness can even ever come about. Uh, they would agree with verse 11. And that's the way it is in our day. Oh, buddy, you to be saved by faith. Everybody seems like in the 21st century understands saving grace. But where they have their problem is in living grace, which takes on the other side of the cross. That's where the struggles become. Well, back in chapter 3 earlier, he says in verse 2, this is the only thing I want to find out from you. I love these questions. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? He didn't say, do you? He said, did you? He's pointing back to their salvation. They're already saved. He's making his point. And then he asked a great question in verse 5, and it dawned on me when I was studying this. I really haven't covered verse 5, but let me hit it real quickly. He says in verse 5, so then... Does he who provides you with the Spirit, listen to this, and works miracles among you, except it's not among, it's the word in, in you, do it by the works of the law? In other words, well, well God, I, I have a quiet time every day for, at 4 o'clock in the morning and I have passed out all those tracks and I, I haven't missed church in six years. And oh God, thank you so much that because I have been good, then you have done these things in my life. Is that the way God does it? Is that the way he does miracles within you? And then he says, or is it by hearing with faith? Hearing and understanding and saying, God, you said it. I'm going to stand on it. And then God begins to do the miraculous in us and through us. The Galatian churches had made a huge mistake. Oh, my prayer is we don't make it here. They'd gone back to human good. You know why? Because it's logical, isn't it? I mean, let's get together, get a committee together. We've got to help God out. I mean, he's an old man sitting on the back porch. He doesn't know what's going on. We've got to do something, do something quickly. No, sir. No, sir. We get on our face before God, and we find out what God's doing, and we say, yes, Lord, and we begin to cooperate with him. And then what he does, everybody stands back in awe and says, oh, that's God. This is what Christianity is all about. The Galatians bought what the 21st century has bought. They bought back into religion, a system. Of performance. Colossians 2.6 says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in Him. Nothing's changed. I'm just as desperate today in this message, my hands are sweating right now, for God to speak to your hearts as I would have been the day that I got saved. And if we don't understand that, then we have been duped. Oh, foolish believers in the 21st century, who has bewitched you? Did you get saved this way? You certainly can't live this way. It's by faith alone in Christ alone. You know what the sweet thing is about this message to me? 
is that we're dovetailing right into the Lord's Supper. Let me just, it's all about the cross, isn't it? We're going to talk today, we're going to reflect and celebrate what it costs God for us to have this beautiful life that He's given to us. And as you're preparing your hearts to take this Lord's Supper, I want you to say, God, have I bought the lie? Have I fell back into the old trap that I can do anything for you other than trust you and trust your word and cooperate fully with you? Be a sweet time. Might be God might say some things today to us while we partake of this Lord's Supper. Because of what we're going to celebrate today, this does not become the body of Christ. This is symbolic of what happened. But listen, folks, this happened because works couldn't cut it. If works couldn't cut it before salvation, they certainly can't cut it after salvation. It's a relationship, remember? Not a religion. For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.